Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Live Free Creative, an intentional podcast with practical tips for living your life on purpose. I'm your host, Miranda Anderson, and I believe in creativity, adventure, curiosity, and the magic of small moments. I hope that every time you listen, you feel empowered and free to live the life that you want. Hello, hello, welcome back to Live Free Creative. You're listening to episode number 227. Minimalism, but make it maximal. I know, it's a cute title. I can't take credit for it. I did an Instagram poll last week, curious about what types of topics around minimalism people may be interested in. And I'll share in my life lately why this came up. This was one of the many great answers, and I thought I should dive right into this because it seems so paradoxical that these two things, living a life that's minimal and maximal, are like opposites and they can't coexist. And in this episode, I want to share with you why I see minimalism as the road to maximal benefit, joy, and satisfaction in my life. Before I dive in, I wanted to share a quick Life Lately. One of my favorite things that happened recently, last week, I was invited to speak on a panel on minimalism for a professional development day. The group that I was speaking to was the National Association of Organizing Professionals of New England. The New England chapter, this was their I don't know if annual or or biannual professional development day. And I attended for the whole day. It was really fun. There was a great class about marketing. There was a fun workshop about how to better provide services, organizing services for neurodivergent people, people with ADHD or on the autism spectrum. It was really interesting. And the final conversation of the day was this panel on minimalism, the benefits of minimalism. Of course, for a group of organizers who are in people's homes trying to help them with systems and decluttering and organizing, this is a topic that probably comes up from time to time. People may be nervous about their organizer wanting to make them minimal when they don't feel that way. They may not know what it 
exactly means or where to start, or maybe it sounds like something that they would be attracted to, this idea of living with less, and yet they just don't have the tools or perceived skill set or confidence to get started. It was a really fun conversation and reminded me of all of the benefits and beauty of living a life on purpose. I have been on my own personal minimalism pathway since about 2013, so about 10 years now, starting with lots of different experiments like my minimal meal plan that has been fantastic for years, and decluttering, and then of course moving, downsizing, renovating, readjusting, resizing, right-sizing. I've taught half a dozen group workshops over the last four years on the idea of decluttering and minimalizing and aligning, better aligning your actual decisions with your values. And that's what minimalism feels like to me. This conversation, this panel gave me an opportunity to bring it all to the forefront again. I think the choices that we make regarding what we buy, how we choose to bring things into our home, what matters most to us, have become sort of what we do, like our mode of operation. And I sometimes forget that many of the ways that I think about bringing things into my life are different than the general public or than the more pervasive consumer capital mindset that is out there just in the air that we breathe. And because I decided to pause my decluttered program for this semester of school, I normally would have hosted a a group in January and would be still in the middle. I guess we'd be finishing up about now. I have been a little bit further removed from teaching about practical minimalism than I normally am. All that to say, it was a really great opportunity to reacquaint myself with the values that feel so inherent to me and to remember that there's such benefit in the continual practice and keeping these things front of mind and also sharing them. So I'm excited to share more about minimalism, but make it maximal today. A couple other quick life lately things. One is that it's the end of February. I maybe am a little bit late on the uptake, but I'm going to plant my seeds for my garden. I've decided that I'm going to try to winter sow, even though I'm a little bit late. The year that I was really successful with winter sowing, I planted seeds outside in about mid-January, so about a month later than that. Hopefully it'll still go well. The idea with winter sowing is that you can plant your seeds into containers and leave them outside. And as long as they're taped up and they're translucent so that the sun can get in, you only water them the first time, like the the soil is moist when you start. And then they, they kind of stay as like a mini greenhouse. And you leave them outside with the sun and the rain and they even the year that I did it, it snowed and they are hardy and they're it's like a more natural environment. The idea is that these plants have a little bit more strength in their roots because their initial stages are outside with the fluctuations in weather. So hopefully it goes well again. I was delighted a couple years ago when I was able to winter sow and it went well. Last year I didn't because we moved and I just wasn't quite set up yet. I didn't have garden beds built until the end of March. So this year, now that the garden's like pretty much ready to go, the garden raised beds are set up. My drip watering system is all installed that I I finished that the end of last year. I'm ready to plant some seeds and see what grows. 
Those things are my update on life lately. This podcast is sponsored by Thrive Market. I don't know what your experience has been grocery shopping lately, but the prices have gone sort of crazy. We've been really lucky to have our backyard chickens laying eggs for us, but for all of our other inexpensive grocery needs, we are using Thrive Market and loving it. Thrive Market is my go-to for grocery and household essentials. I love their snack category. It's our favorite place to get simple, healthy snacks that my family all enjoy. We love the mini chomps, beef jerky sticks. I'm obsessed with the poppy probiotic soda and the Thrive Market brand veggie straws and applesauce are constants in our pantry. As a Thrive Market member, I save money on every single order. I save about $40 each time I have a box delivered. So I'm not only saving money, but also saving time. Join Thrive Market today and get 30% off of your first order plus a $360 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash livefree for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash livefree. Find the link right in the show notes for ease. I just have to give full credit for this idea, this podcast topic and title to my friend Kara, who lives in Austin, Texas. She was my neighbor for years, one of my best friends. And I laughed out loud when I saw her response to my question on Instagram, what minimalism topics are you interested in hearing more about? Kara responded, minimalism, but make it maximal. I wonder how many of you feel that way. Minimalism feels like a big, scary, unfortunate thing that you're not very interested in because you like your things. You like your collections. You like beautiful clothes. You're interested in filling your home to cozy and layering things together to feel like you're surrounded by what you love. I'm with you. I feel the same way. The most interesting part of becoming practically minimal for me is how when I whittle down to what I truly love and desire to spend my time and energy surrounded by and working with, I have never felt like my life has been more maximized. So as a starting point, it's really interesting. We got a question on this panel that I was telling you about that I spoke on last week. The question was, what is it about your house or where you live that would feel different to someone if they came in? Knowing that you're a minimalist, if someone who didn't know you came into their, your house, what would they notice that's different? And I thought, huh, I am so curious what the answer actually might be because my house doesn't look minimal. In fact, especially in this new house, the way that I'm choosing to design and decorate it, it feels pretty maximal. There's a lot of color. There's a lot of pattern. There's some really fun vignettes of beautiful things. There's art on every single wall. The house does not feel like a stark, empty, concrete box like you may have in mind when you think of minimalism, or even like a super chic Brooklyn studio apartment or a Scandinavian big windows and natural light and light wood furniture and the occasional potted plant. My home feels a little bit like an old British cottage inside right now <laughs> with 
colorful wallpaper and colorful trim and interesting tile and different types of rugs and vintage furniture, wood stacked near the wood-burning fireplace and art hanging on the walls. Especially when my kids are home, there's usually socks and coats and backpacks flung through the main floor. Bowls of snacks and trays of cookies on the table and in the, on the island in the kitchen. Usually there's one or three or five candles lit for ambiance, coziness, and that gentle scent floating through the air. Of course, we're not even minimal right now in terms of creatures living on our home. We have three children, two adults, two dogs, two cats, and a coop full of chickens in the backyard, not to mention the dozens and dozens of backyard local birds that come visit my bird feeder. My porch is usually cluttered with a combination of rollerblades, roller skates, penny boards, skateboards, scooters, and bicycle helmets. The bicycles themselves go around the side in the bike sheds. All this to say that my answer to that question on the panel was, I'm not sure that someone coming into our home for the first time and not knowing our family would think of us as minimalists. They probably wouldn't consider that we had decluttered and downsized for a decade to be at the place that we are now. Because exactly as Kara said, our minimalist life is hugely maximal. Through the choices we make that I would call practical minimalism, we maximize our capacity for owning things that we love, that bring us joy, that are useful for the stage and season of life that we are in right now. And there's not a whole lot extra. And that feels really good. I'm always curious when people join my decluttered course why they join. Minimalism and decluttering and organizing your space and your belongings usually isn't something that you come to if you feel content with the way that your life is going. If you feel a little bit of friction or overwhelm or stress or frustration around the amount of time that you spend cleaning and organizing, around the way that you open any cupboard or drawer and you just don't really know what's in there and it's hard to find things that you use, Maybe you're feeling a little tight on the financial side and you want to curb some of the mindless shopping and spending that you do, bringing home things that you don't actually need or want in the first place. In other words, people come to the idea of organizing and minimizing their belongings because the way that they're doing it currently doesn't feel satisfying, fulfilling, or contented. If it did, then great. If, if you're feeling good, then I think that it's great to continue living as you are. However, when you feel like your values or desires or goals for your lifestyle are not in alignment with your current situation or with the choices that you're making, the habits that you've formed, or even, as in our case, the space that we had bought ourselves into that we felt, you know, five years ago, almost six years ago when we moved to Richmond, we recognized at that stage of life, we had bought a house that was probably twice as big as we actually needed. And so we right-sized for our family and the stage of life that we were in. That process of allowing ourselves to make decisions in alignment with our current needs, some might not consider minimalism. They might just consider it making choices for your family. And that, my friends, is what I believe minimalism to actually be. In fact, in my book, More Than Enough, I share this definition of 
practical minimalism. Minimalism is recognizing what matters most to you and your family and then consciously disregarding the rest. And then I also share what defines this type of minimalism is not how many things you can eliminate, but how intentional you are about the things you eliminate and what you choose to keep around. Minimalism isn't simply getting rid of things. It isn't paring everything down or stripping away the joy and beauty and collections in life. In fact, there are some myths around minimalism that I thought I would take a little bit of time to clear up. One is that minimalism equals deprivation. That when you are choosing less, that that means you're starving yourself of something that you actually might need or want. That's not the case. Minimalism is about choosing what you love and elevating those things and then choosing that the things that you don't love or that don't matter to you can resume their place outside of your mind, outside of your budget, outside of your conscious because you don't need or or desire them. Another myth is that there's one standard of minimalism, that there's one right way to do it. And that, of course, is not true. Even the definition of minimalism is vague and, and determined in part by the individual who's choosing to embark on this sort of a mindset. Minimalism for me, like I mentioned, is elevating the things that we love and disregarding the rest. For someone else, it may mean something different. I also like to apply the idea of practical minimalism to all the areas of my life, not only what I own, like my belongings, but also how I'm spending my time, my schedule, what activities I'm embarking on, even my thoughts, beliefs, and relationships are things that I evaluate for priority and then align and adjust as needed as the stages of my life go on. Another myth you may have heard around minimalism is that minimalists don't go shopping. I admit this is a myth that I perpetuated by embarking on a minimalism challenge where I didn't buy anything for 12 months. That is out of the ordinary, however. And in the last six years since we completed our year-long shopping pause, I buy things all the time. What I buy and why I buy it is different than it was a decade ago, and that feels good. The things that I'm choosing are with intention and purpose and value in mind, and I leave far more things on the shelves than I would have before. In addition to that, I have some personal minimalism guidelines, some practical, intentional living guidelines that help me eliminate the unnecessary decisions that are sort of handed to us by living in a consumer-driven world. Every time I get an email with a sale, I don't ask myself whether or not I should buy something because it's less expensive than it was last week. Having my own personal set of guidelines helps me maintain in focus what matters most to me. Another myth, and this is probably the question that I got the most often when we started talking about minimalism and sharing about it more. This was that you can't be minimalist with a family. When we did our initial minimalism challenge, our kids were so young that they really weren't impacted a whole lot. And I've had people ask, like, wasn't that hard with kids? In truth, it wasn't very hard with kids because they were five years old and three years old and there just wasn't a whole lot of input that they had into the rhythms of our everyday life. They never wanted for anything. That was part of why it felt so comfortable for us to embark on a no-buy challenge because 
we had plenty of toys and clothes and activities and our house was full of furniture and decorations and we just had everything that we needed and it seemed ridiculous to continue to add more. Now, I will 100% acknowledge that as my kids have gotten older, they have their own priorities. They have their own perspectives. And so I did a reel on Instagram about this time last year that's kind of funny where I acknowledge that, yeah, I am still very much minimal in my mindset and the way that I operate in the world. And some of my kids are not very minimal. And that's okay. I maintain some sort of pragmatic guidelines in our family by allotting a certain amount of space for their different collections so things don't just overflow and get out of control. However, I don't expect that my kids are going to have the same perspective and priorities as I do. So when they want to spend their babysitting money on yet another Lego set, that's fine by me. They get to choose what matters to them in their developmental stages and ages as is appropriate. Things that affect the whole family, for example, we most of the time spend our Christmas budget on traveling as a family rather than physical gifts. And my kids have adapted to that as part of our overall family culture, and they like it. Choosing adventure and experiences over stuff is part of the foundation of our family. And so our kids are used to it in that way, where I understand that it may be a little more challenging with kids who are older to begin sort of an adjustment period. I think that they can adapt, though. And I think that when you're looking at minimalism as maximizing your life, as making space for the things that you want to do as a family, for the time you want to spend together, for the actual physical belongings that you don't get sick of picking up day after day after day, that's when your life feels maximized because of the choices that you've been making. Another myth about minimalism is that you can't be sentimental, that you must not care about things at all if you're willing to get rid of so much. This I have a really interesting perspective on. And every time that I've hosted my decluttered workshop, I've asked the participants where they keep their sentimental items, those things that they inherited or that they're saving for their children. Where are they? How are they being honored? And more often than not, the answer is that the sentimental things are in a box in the attic or in the garage. What I've chosen to do and the way that I honor how sentimental I am and those things that I really love, the heirloom type things that I want to elevate. I want those memories of those relationships and people to be top of mind. And so I choose my very favorites and I put them on display. For example, I have a painting that my grandfather did in the 70s hanging in my living room. And I have a ring that was my great grandmother's that my mom gave me a couple years ago and I put it on my finger and I wear it every single day. Rather than keeping it in the jewelry box for a special occasion, I put it on and I think of her and I use it. I do have small bins for each of my kids that I allotted the amount of space for the things that I wanted to keep throughout their childhood years. And every time it gets full, I go through and do a little edit. And you'll be surprised how something that feels so meaningful when they're five years old and they just brought it home from kindergarten, starts to seem a little bit less important when they come home from eighth grade and they have a certificate that they want to save or an amazing paper that they wrote. The process of editing the things that we keep allows us to truly only keep the things that 
stand the test of time. And that is what the process is of having a system of decluttering and organizing in your life, maintaining at the forefront that what you own is what you love and use, and that once something has outlived that promise, that you're able to let it flow out of your life. So the way that minimalism is so maximal is that it allows you to maximize your choices so that the things that you're surrounding yourself with, what you honor and elevate in your home and in your schedule and in your belief system and in your relationships are the things that bring the most joy, the most benefit and the most value into your life every day. Let's take a quick break for another sponsor. Today's show is brought to you by HelloFresh. Now you know that I love meal planning and have had a minimal meal plan for years. Well, this year, now that I'm back in graduate school, I turned the reins of the dinnertime meals over to Dave. And he decided after a couple months that he could use some help. So we signed back up for HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh's pre-proportioned ingredients and easy-to-follow recipe cards means that you can get a delicious, home-cooked dinner on the table without all the time-consuming meal planning and prepping. You'll only find super high-quality ingredients in HelloFresh's recipes. In fact, the ingredients travel from the farm to your home in less than seven days, so you know that they're fresh. Not only is Dave enjoying having time to do more things that he loves because HelloFresh makes dinner time super simple, Our kids also have gotten in on the action, and my 13-year-old and 11-year-old are great HelloFresh chefs, and our whole family enjoys the variety and quality of the meals once they're finished. If you could use a little bit more ease and free time in your dinner time routine, go to HelloFresh.com slash LiveFree65 and use the code LiveFree65 for 65% off plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash LiveFree65 with code LiveFree65 to get 65% off and free shipping. That link is in the show notes. I want to finish up today's episode by sharing some nuggets of wisdom from the book The Paradox of Choice by Barry Schwartz. I had the huge honor of being able to listen to Barry Schwartz give a lecture to my program and was just blown away by his wisdom, his years of research, and how well aligned all of the things that he's researched and taught are with the idea of practical minimalism. Again, his book is called The Paradox of Choice, Why More is Less, and I will link it in the show notes. And I also want to counter that not only is more less, also less can be more. Minimalism can be maximal because when you elevate the things that you love the most and create space for them, you feel more satisfied and fulfilled with your everyday life. I want to start by sharing Barry Schwartz's idea of how to make good choices. He has a six-step process, and I want you to think about how well the choices that you make follow this system. Step one, figure out your goal or goals. Step two, evaluate the importance of each of your goals. Step three, array the options. Figure out what is out there that can help you possibly meet those goals. And number four, evaluate how likely each of the options is to help you meet your goal. Step five, pick the best possible choice. And step six, 
Stay aware of the consequences of this choice so that you can evaluate them and modify future choices based on the results. Most of us get caught up on number one, establish your goals. This in essence begins with asking the question, what do I want? From my life, from this year, from this week or today, if we don't have some clarity around what we want in our lives, it's pretty hard to pin the tail on that donkey. So start there. And if you have an idea of what you want or you've had experiences that have informed you what you definitely don't want, then start trying to evaluate and keep track of those things so that you can come up with some sort of a vision of what it is you're trying to accomplish here. What feels meaningful? What do you enjoy? The episode I shared last week about lifting with your strengths includes a recommendation for a strength survey that can help you not know what you want, but maybe know a little bit better what you're good at and what you're predisposed toward. When you answer the question what you want, it becomes easier to identify what contributes to you getting it and what doesn't. When I was a young mom of three with a newborn baby in a brand new big giant house that we could barely afford, trying to figure out how to move forward, I recognized that what I wanted was time and space and financial freedom and peace and that I had been living somewhat on a hamster wheel of feeling like the happiness and peace and joy and satisfaction in life that I really desired was just beyond the next thing, the next accomplishment, the next achievement, the next piece of beautiful furniture to put in my Pinterest-worthy home, the next pair of designer shoes or beautiful outfit. All of the things that I wanted seemed contingent upon the next thing that I didn't yet have. Coming to understand that everything that I want to feel is available to me right now because emotions are generated inside my body through my thoughts. That in and of itself was the most profound aha moment, understanding, or piece of wisdom that I have come to as a result of experimenting with minimalism and understanding that what I want isn't in the stuff or the schedule, that what I want is the feeling that lives inside me when I choose to believe things that aid and support in that vision. I'm not great at it. I'm not perfect at it by any stretch of the imagination. And there is a lot of beauty to surrounding ourselves by things that we want and love and even experimenting with that, not buying anything for even a week. In my decluttered course, we do it for six weeks, a a no shopping pause for six weeks. But imagine even a week or two of just saying, I'm not going to buy anything. I'm not going to add anything to my shopping cart or to Amazon or I'm not going to go to Target. I'm just going to exist in my life as it is right now for a little while and maybe reacquaint myself with what actually exists here. What are the things that are around me all the time? What do I have? Knowing where we are can help us in determining where we'd like to go. And sometimes we want to go forward. And sometimes, like I found in 2017, we want to go seemingly backward. I wanted a smaller house with less stuff rather than a bigger house with more stuff. And both of those things are progress because they're 
heading me in the direction of my own personal goals and aligning my decisions with my own personal values. Your life is maximized by you minimizing the things that you don't care about within your own life. Next, I want to tell you about the law of diminishing marginal utility. I know that's a mouthful. This is a law that says that the more you have of something, the less each unit has value. For example, 10 blocks. One-tenth of each of those blocks is a lot bigger than one-hundredth of a hundred blocks and less than one-thousandth of a thousand blocks. In other words, the more you add, the less each individual unit matters. Think about that in terms of physical belongings, just because we're talking about minimalism, which is often, most often associated with things. The more you add into your closet, into your home, into your cupboards, into your pantry, into your kids' toy bins, the less value each one of those things has. The law of diminishing marginal utility is an economic and psychological principle. So you may contest it and say, no, I think that even if I have 100 pairs of shoes, I love them all the same. Like They all are equally valuable to me. Unfortunately, that's not the way that your brain works. Having 10 things means that you can love all 10 more than spreading all of that value or consciousness or care over a hundred things. On a graph, this looks like a curved line that as the line goes up, it also starts to plateau. It's not like a straight directional line that more is always systemically equally better. More is can be a little bit better. And as you add more and more and more, it actually starts to even out. And at some point, it becomes what's called an upside down U or an inverted U where the more actually becomes worse. And as you add and add and add, you actually get less and less satisfaction out of everything. One way that minimalism is maximal is that by choosing and elevating the things that matter most and actually Using your consciousness to make choices rather than feeling like everything matters the same, you are able to prioritize, elevate, and appreciate things that otherwise would just become part of the background noise of your home and your life. Add to this something called the hedonic treadmill, which is the natural adaptation that happens when something becomes part of our regular everyday circumstance. Our brain cannot process everything happening at once. And so things that are familiar to us fade into the background. And those things that you thought were so important in the target aisle come home and just become part of the blur of all of the other things that you own. One way to combat that is by changing things fairly frequently. Another way to combat that is to be intentionally conscious about what already exists in your environment, being aware, taking time to be present in your environment, to pay attention to things, to be continually intentionally grateful for what already exists. I share in my book and I've talked about in a few different places how during our shopping pause, our year-long shopping pause and every shopping pause that I've done in the six years since, 
every time I say a conscious no to something that I otherwise kind of want or think would be fun, it feels like a little gratitude practice. That by saying no, I'm acknowledging that I have abundance in my life as it is right now. Rather than saying no out of deprivation or scarcity, I'm saying no because what I have is enough, is more than enough, because my closet is already full, because my bookshelf is overflowing, because as beautiful as that cake plate is, I have five at home that are equally as beautiful that I've just forgotten how much I cared about them when I first brought them into my home. So there are two ways to sort of battle and buffer against this hedonic adaptation. One is to continually be changing things. And that's what G.K. Chesterton might call having enough by desiring more and more. His whole quote is, there are two ways to have enough. One is to acquire more and more, and the other is to desire less. One way to sort of battle this feeling of enoughness is to continually change and go through things and continually buy things and stretch for the next coolest, shiniest, beautiful thing. And the other is to desire less, not out of scarcity, but out of gratitude. And to live in continual acknowledgement and awareness and celebration of the gifts and beauty and belongings that surround us right now. One challenge that we might all face in this process is something called the endowment effect. The endowment effect says that once you own something, getting rid of it feels like a loss. Even if you don't really like it that much or you didn't choose it, someone gives you a gift, for example, that you don't think you're ever really going to use, but now that you have it, giving it away or donating it may feel like a huge loss. As an example of endowment effect, Barry Schwartz cites a study that was done at Duke University. It concerned some tickets to see the Duke University men's basketball team play in the national championships. And the tickets were super high demand and they were pretty expensive. There were people camping out in line for a week to get into the lottery that would determine whether or not they even got the chance to purchase a ticket. Kind of reminds me of the recent Taylor Swift debacle that I did not get tickets to and I'm still a little bit sad about. All of the lottery winners were random, and so the researchers presumed that those who won the right to buy tickets and those who didn't were equally interested in getting tickets. They asked the losers, people who hadn't gotten the chance to buy a ticket, how much they would pay for one. And the average answer was $175. So these are people who don't have the chance to buy a ticket. They want one. They'd pay $175 for it. Now, the lucky winners who did have a chance to buy tickets, which they had bought for less than $175, mind you, they were asked how much they would have to be paid to give up their ticket or how much they would sell their ticket for. So $175 if they didn't have a ticket. The people who did have a ticket said they would sell a ticket for $2,400. For the winners, giving up the ticket that they had won the right to purchase was a loss of the endowment. The endowment had inflated the value of this ticket by over 15 times. So equal desire, but when someone already had the ticket, the way that they valued that opportunity was inflated by 15 times. 
I've experienced this in my own life as I've sold things on Facebook Marketplace. A chair that I may have had for five years that I feel like is in pretty good condition and I originally paid $500 for, I might be tempted to list for like $400. Where in reality, someone who could buy a brand new chair at the store for $500 is probably not going to want my five-year-old used chair for just a 20% discount. In fact, people looking at that would probably think that I'm a little bit out of it, that I think that what I have is worth more than it is. The truth is that I do think the things that I have are worth more than they're worth because of this phenomenon of endowment effect. This phenomenon makes it hard for people to get rid of things that they already own, which I consider to be a huge benefit of thinking really hard about the decision on the front end or setting yourself up for success by having some intentional purchasing guidelines in place. Because once you buy it, you're gonna think that it's worth more than it actually is for a little while, and then you're not gonna care about it at all or acknowledge it because of your hedonic adaptation for a while, and then when it comes time to declutter that closet where those things have been sitting, even though you haven't thought about them in two years, when you pull them out, all of a sudden, you're gonna think that you should sell them rather than donate them because of what you initially paid for them, plus the fact that you already own them. Does this sound familiar to anyone? You start decluttering and it just sends you into a whirlwind of, well, maybe I actually want this thing that I haven't seen for five years because it was stuffed in the back of the cabinet. No, you probably don't want that thing. It's just your endowment effect telling you that because you already have it, it's worth more than you've actually been using it. So another way that minimalism can be maximal is that it helps you make decisions on the front end about what matters most And it also helps you keep in mind the perspective of your end goal as you're getting rid of things. That space in your closet and in your cupboards and in your home and in your schedule is just as valuable as belongings. That the peace and satisfaction and contentment that you hope for is not just beyond another trip to Target or earning a little bit more and being in a little bit bigger house and renovating. I mean, this one's for me, renovating everything that you have on your list to finish renovating in your current house. No, friends. Minimalism is maximal because it helps you maintain the mindset of what matters most to you. And you create space for those things. And then you consciously eliminate and disregard anything else. Minimalism at my house looks pretty maximal. It's got a lot of color and a lot of art and a lot of animals and, yes, a collection of cake plates. It has fun decorations for the holidays that we choose to celebrate and enough clothes for everyone to feel comfortable in what they wear every day. What it doesn't have is pretty much anything extra that doesn't fit inside the bounds of what we're currently using, loving, that's adding value to our lives in this season right now. We think intentionally about the things that we allow into our home, and we're pretty loose about what we let go of, recognizing that if it doesn't add value right now, that just because we own it doesn't mean we have to keep it. I'm curious what a maximal minimalism would look like in your life. How can you Be thoughtful about elevating and celebrating the things that you love most about your home and your life and your schedule and your relationships and consciously, intentionally eliminate the unnecessary, uninteresting, or unimportant. 
How can you live better by living with less? That is the question I want to leave with you this week, my friends. I'm so happy that you decided to tune in today to Live Free Creative Podcast. We are rolling right along through this fifth season. I hope that you have been enjoying it. I know I sure am enjoying bringing new ideas and inspiration for living your life on purpose to you every week. I wanted to give a quick shout out to some of my upcoming retreats. I know that it feels a little early to be thinking about summertime and even about the fall, but friends, it's gonna sneak up on us. We're already at the end of February. There are eight tents available at Grown Up Summer Camp where you get to come reconnect to yourself, have some relaxation and free time and engage in incredible learning activities, workshops and crafts and friendship. When was the last time you felt wholly like yourself and you let someone else take care of you and provide all of the things that you want and need for a weekend while you simply have fun? Grown Up Summer Camp is intentionally designed with principles of well-being and intention and purpose and you will feel like you're coming home. 100% of past participants would recommend summer camp to their girlfriends and I would love to see you there. Visit livefreecreative.co slash summer camp in order to find a spot for yourself. The tents are really fun. They're all group format so you can come by yourself and meet some new people or you can grab one or two friends and book a whole tent for your party. You have like a mini girls weekend inside the greater summer camp community. Either way, I can guarantee you'll have the time of your life. And you know what research shows? We're much more likely to regret things that we don't do than things that we do. If you feel the call of summer camp, if it lights you up a little bit, if it sounds really fun and you wanna make it happen, I promise that you won't regret it. As a special bonus, incentive, motivation, and help, everyone who signs up for summer camp before the end of April is going to get an early birding kit. (laughs) That means I'm gonna send you a really fun backyard bird introduction kit with some of my favorite birding products and invite you to an exclusive backyard birding introduction workshop with me. I can't wait to share not only my love of birds, but also my love of nature, adventure, friends, crafts, and fun with you at summer camp this year. Let me know if you have any questions. Otherwise, I'll see you there. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.